says can i have your axe and brass knuckles and your axe a crazy weekend on the buses of winnipeg you weren't expecting that i know i was wondering where you're going what is he doing (laughs) greg mackling and brett mcgarry with you on this monday a decidedly gloomy monday we're trying to raise your spirit somewhat but we have to have some serious discourse some serious conversation about what's going on in winnipeg transit are you concerned about the revelations like the ones this weekend that a passenger was confronted by several other passengers when they noticed passenger a had an axe and brass knuckles on him went fairly peacefully all things considered yeah. in terms of disarming this man the man's been arrested i think we have the arrest report here on march 3rd 2017 at approximately 9:30 p.m. not even that late at night brett winnipeg police responded to a report of a male with a weapon on a city of winnipeg transit bus general patrol officers were dispatched to the intersection of watt and Nairn avenue where they arrested a 22 year old male the accused male had apparently boarded the bus near Regent Avenue and Bond Street shortly after 9 p.m. While seated on the bus, the accused was observed by two male passengers to be in possession of an axe and brass knuckles. These passengers were able to disarm the accused without incident. So that's in it. I mean, thankfully, it ended peacefully and without incident, but that could have gone completely the other way. Yeah. So I don't uh, know what the past, with how large these passengers were, or what the situation was. But I'm glad that that that's all that it was. Just a, a potentially dangerous situation. Certainly scary though when you see the number of of incidents that are starting to to add up. And I, I'm just sort of curious: is is are there more things happening, or are we just more? Are we hypervigilant, maybe? Yeah, maybe we're just noticing more, or we're more tuned in to what's happening since the death of Irvin Fraser uh, on February 14th. So, I don't know. Uh, and that's that. this one in particular, the axe incident, that hits kind of, that kind of hits home for me, because that is, I mean, I don't live in Transcone anymore, but that'll always be home to me. Have you ever ridden that bus? All the time. Really? The, that's That would have been the, the 47, I, oh I assume. Oh the Transcone of 47. So, yeah, God, it, it takes you over the Naren Overpass. So that's where the police stopped and, and picked up this guy. We've had these conversations before about the geography thing. When we hear about an, an assault, a murder, or some sort of violent crime, and then we get the coordinates. And we go in our head and we go, oh, yeah, I know where that is. That doesn't affect me. Mm-hmm. So when you hear something on a bus that maybe you may have even taken half a decade ago, yep. does it hit closer to home for you? I think, well, I th- yeah, I think that that's just sort of naturally hits closer to home because it's an area that I am familiar with. Of course, that's the area that I grew up in. And it is a bus that I would have taken a lot as a, as a kid, as a teenager, as a young adult, 
whether it would be ride, taking the bus to university or taking the bus to work at St. Patel Shopping Center or Polo Park Shopping Center or wherever I was going. The 47 was the bus that I always had to take. And every area has its share of incidents, but Transcona, other than sort of run-of-the-mill stuff, was never a violent area growing up. So this is sort of jumps out as kind of odd. Transcona notorious for other shenanigans. Yes, <laughs> yes, that's right. Not for guys getting on buses with and with axes and brass knuckles. So, oh boy, you know we're trying to stay lighthearted here, but it may be a serious situation. And I think from what we're hearing from the folks at the transit union, that incidents on Winnipeg transit buses are up. And Global Sheldon Rogers did a report on this over the weekend. We're going to play that for you right now. February fourteenth, the day a Winnipeg bus driver was fatally stabbed on the job. It's been nearly three weeks since then, and the union representing transit staff says the number of incidents threatening public safety are adding up. These things are very concerning, uh, not only to myself, but also uh, to my membership as well as the riding public. This weekend alone, union president John Callahan says there were four incidents related to safety on transit buses. One involved a man with an axe and brass knuckles on board near Nairn Avenue and Watt Street. There was some kind of an altercation between that individual and some other passengers on the bus, and he was uh, escorted off the bus. No one was injured, but still, some people taking transit say they've been on edge for weeks. It's getting worse. Yeah. You know? And uh, nowadays it's not really safe. Some want more police on board and at bus stops. If bus stops would have, like, some policemen to check who are the the passengers going in and out, it'd be more safer. It's something the union is asking for now. More police riding the bus undercover. That person sitting next to you may be a police officer. You don't know. So, I mean, that's the beauty of using that model. A comprehensive report on current safety regulations for transit vehicles has been submitted to City Hall. It's expected to take 90 days to hear anything back. Sheldon Rogers, Global News. John Callahan says that they've received emails from riders who are concerned. They're looking to me to get the things done, so I don't want to let them down, he says. It was in the past that maybe our biggest concern, Brett, being on the bus, was whether or not the the dude sitting next to you knew how to use deodorant or not. That's right. You know, not whether or not he was packing heat or some other sort of weapon. I always felt super comfortable riding transit anywhere. In North America, quite frankly, but I, it sounds as though this has people concerned and maybe rightfully so. Yeah, and I my experiences on transit are similar. I think I could probably count on one hand the number of times in my life where I, I felt either unsafe or at the very least kind of on guard. And a lot of, and a lot of times it's just because somebody's gotten on the bus and they've had too much to drink or... You can and you can sort of see that there's the lights are on, but no one's home, so you don't know what people are unpredictable when they're like that. But generally speaking, I don't think I've ever actually felt like my safety is in danger. So it is sort of weird to see all of these things happening. Like on there was the the axe and the brass knuckles on Friday. Then on Saturday, the union is saying there were another three incidents regarding bus safety that they didn't uh, get into as far as details go. So. Do you think the threat of having police on buses, maybe undercover or transit cops, 
would alleviate this? Do you think people with the intent of transporting these kind of weapons are going to have second thought as to whether or not they ride the bus? You know, it was cited there that maybe you'd think twice if you knew the person. Or there, there was a chance that the person sitting next to you was an undercover cop. I, I don't know if people who are out to do bad things think that way. I don't know if they think if you can put logic into this discussion because uh, clearly if you're transporting an axe and wearing brass knuckles or at least displaying them in some fashion so that other passengers can actually see what you're transporting, uh, you've got some other issues there. Yes, that's true. Yeah, I, I actually don't know, Anna. I was thinking maybe you're right because I was thinking it would be it would be a good idea, but maybe you're right. It would would a, a police officer or an undercover officer even the threat deter somebody? Because for example, I sort of I would make a comparison, and this I know this is apples and oranges here, but I would make a comparison to the photo radar cameras that mm-hmm. are scattered throughout. We know that they're not every single one of them is equipped at at all times, but the threat is there that oh, this one might be a live camera and I could get nailed, so I slow down. But that's a negotiation with logic. And that's what I mean. I, that, so that, I think, has been a deterrent, but would, would the threat of at least the, the notion that maybe there's an undercover police officer on a bus, would that stop? You're right. A guy gets on the bus and visibly is carrying an axe and brass knuckles. Yeah, that's... He's not... The lights are on and no one's home, I think. I would I go back to my reference earlier. <laughs> I don't think he's too concerned uh, necessarily about law enforcement. What's your experience been? Maybe yourself, maybe your kids have come home with some stories about riding on a bus in Winnipeg. 780-6868. Are you concerned? Do you feel as though it's time for the next step, for another level of enforcement, another level of safety. We've been talking about the potential for installing shields for drivers. Is that something that whose time has come? Want to hear from you, 780-6868. Are you bothered by the apparent rise of violent or potentially violent actions and issues on Winnipeg Transit? He's Brett, I'm Greg. We look forward to hearing from you at 204-780-6868. And we just also, before we go into commercials here, need to tell you, uh, we got a text at 204-780-6868. Extremely hazardous conditions on Highway 1 from Brandon traveling east. Multiple vehicles in the ditch on their side. Even 80 is a little too fast. Extreme caution for those travelers heading west. Once again, 204-780-6868, your thoughts on bus safety, transit safety. 204-780-6868. Talk or text, Mackling and McGarry, 680-CJOB. It's uh, 119 and Brett, of course, we got that traffic tip we want to share with you. Uh, west of Winnipeg, not very good at all. Highway 1, east of Brandon. Highway is a sheet of ice. Semis are sliding into the ditch. So you want to be careful if you are on the highway. Certainly we can't tell you to stay off of it, but please be careful if you are traveling on the highway. We're talking about transit safety. We had this incident on Friday where a guy gets on the bus in Transcona with an axe and brass knuckles. Two passengers spotted them, spotted the weapons, and were able to disarm this guy who has since been arrested. Transit Union says there were three more incidents related to bus safety on Saturday. So we want to know what you think about transit safety. Are you comfortable riding the bus? Or perhaps maybe you don't take the bus, but maybe your kids take the bus. Are you comfortable with them riding the bus? Gail is at 204-780-6868. Hello, Gail. What do you have to say? 
Well, I have to wonder how a person gets on the bus without the bus operator noticing that this person has an axe. The, the other passengers seen it. Why didn't the operator see it? It's a great question. Well, when we we weren't, you know, we weren't on the bus. We don't know if it was concealed under a jacket, and maybe uh, when he sat down, he started to play with his axe. We don't know uh, what well, exactly what happened there. Are we thinking maybe it was a hatchet and not an axe? They're using the word axe, so I don't know how you would conceal that getting on the bus. Well, if you had a long jacket, uh, you can, I'm sure you could easily just slide that underneath your jacket while you're while you're getting on the bus. I mean, I know it, an axe is a big thing, but it's generally skinny, so that's pretty easily concealable, I would imagine, especially in the winter where we're all carry, we're all wearing big bulky jackets. Well, I'm thinking it was a good thing that it turned out the way it did because if the passenger that went over and confronted this fellow with the axe. It could have been a very dangerous situation. Without question. Does it have you concerned, Gail? Do you take the bus? No, I don't take the bus. Um, but I, I am concerned for people that do. All right, Gail. I mean, it, it, uh, perhaps what the other passengers should have done was gone up and advised the driver, the operator, of what was being seen there. And he could have radioed in and had the police meet him along the way. Gail, thank you for your call at 204-780-6868. And what do you think about transit safety? Are you concerned? Do you ride the bus? Have you seen anything? Like if you if you ride the bus and maybe you've seen something recently or not just in recent days, but perhaps in recent years, or maybe your kids take the bus uh, to go to school or to work or what have you. We got an interesting text here at 204-780-6868. My daughter takes the bus for university early morning to late at night, the University of Winnipeg. I have always worried because she is young and usually alone, but we have a a be safe program on her phone that she can activate if need be. Thankfully, that hasn't had to happen. It's uh, activated like a GPS. Uh, whoever's on her list can watch her movement, but there's also a panic button that's like a siren for her and her safe people. So I just had a peek, and there are a couple of apps. I'm looking at Google Play right now. There's one called Be Safe, so it's spelled B-S-A-F-E, uh, personal safety app. And then there's another one called Be Safe, the women safety app. So either way, it looks like there are some interesting apps out there. I had no idea those existed, so thank you for sharing that with us. Without question. Uh, listener at 7806868 says, bus drivers should have his or her own door and safety shield around him or her. Be safe. Give me some peace of mind. But I probably would panic if her siren went off. Oh, I can only imagine that. And uh, Dave, with a little bit of, I think, a tongue-in-cheek, but also a question that, we're asking. Dave says maybe the guy with the axe didn't feel safe riding the bus. So he was arming himself up to... It was, it was a defense axe versus an offense axe. <laughs> Dave, thanks for that. I shouldn't be laughing, but uh, that's why we're talking. We're having this conversation, <laughs> and I suppose it's an entirely plausible scenario. We don't, we don't know. Uh, 204-780-6868 is the number to call. We're talking about transit safety. Do you feel safe riding the bus? Do you feel safe with your kids on the bus? 204-780-6868. I used to ride the Greyhound bus when I was probably in grade four or five from Brandon to Winnipeg by myself. How often would you do this? Oh, two or three, maybe four times a year. 
Okay. Sometimes I'd be coming into the city, you know, to spend some time with my grandparents. And so my mom and dad put me on the bus and come by ourselves. Uh, I can remember taking the bus by myself from Kildonan Place to Wolseley. There's no way I was any older than 11. Mm-hmm. You know, that used to be pretty commonplace. Yeah, I, I, I used to ride the bus too, I think when I was 12 to downtown or wherever. Um, I don't know. I don't know what the, the norm is now, but yeah, when I was 12 years old, I would walk wherever I needed to go, take the bus wherever I needed to go. And uh, I, took the, I, took, I took the bus regularly well into my mid-20s. I think I didn't get my first car until I was about 24, 25. I think we get you know, accused of being helicopter parents, but you know, when you have adults that are saying that they're uncomfortable riding public transit, it gives parents with younger kids, teenagers, cause for pause. Here's and to a, wonder, you know, whether or not we should be uh, allowing our kids to do that. And it, it feels like things are changing. Here's an interesting text at 204-780-6868. Why isn't there an exit door on the left-hand side of the driver? So uh, like an emergency exit for the driver. That's a question that the bus drivers themselves are asking, and that's their concern of putting a shield, is the fact that they would be closed in on all sides. Um there are controls typically on the left-hand side of the bus driver underneath that window, so it would take for some re-engineering because for a long time, that was there were there's always been control panels, and that's just from my experience in the bus industry. Yeah. So that would take uh, some changes to the overall design of the bus to make that happen. Although they could certainly have an emergency window there, quite potentially. But you know what? That costs Brett more money. Last one. I used to take the bus before I got my license. I would bus from Saint Patel to Grant Park daily. Sometimes I had. Uh, oh boy. Looks like Spellcheck got uh, this text here. <laughs> catch, it would be catch a bus downtown, not Catholic a bus. Catch a bus downtown across from the library. One evening I got mugged right at the bus stop while waiting. It was December and freezing cold. They thre- threatened to stab me. Uh, and of course now that text has moved on me uh, with a knife. And they <laughs> took my jacket and everything I had. Winnipeg Transit should submit contract uh, for a security company, uh, one guard per bus, my point of view. It is 127 Global News coming up next. 134 in the rain in Winnipeg and in the icy highway conditions to the west of Winnipeg on highway number one east of Brandon. We're getting reports of freezing rain, very slippery conditions, so please use caution out there. Brett, as you say, we can't tell you to stay off the highways, but we Definitely want to let you know what you're in for if you're traveling towards the Wheat City this afternoon. Indeed. uh, Yeah, only RCMP, of course, can tell you whether or not you should stay off the highway, but we can certainly tell you to exercise caution. And we thank our listeners for sharing sharing with us those conditions, especially if you're heading that way and you don't quite know what you might be getting into. Uh, There you go. It's going to be a tough drive through that Weather as it makes its way across southern Manitoba. I think the next uh, 36 hours are going to be fairly trying, no matter where you are in our province. Keep it locked here. We will keep you up to date, and we want to thank you in advance for sharing all the information you do with us at 780-6868 or on the traffic phone 781-1320 or on Twitter at CGOB Traffic, always when it's safe. Speaking of safety, we're talking about Winnipeg Transit, the safety factor not only for drivers but for passengers. Are you concerned? Concerned, of course, uh, the the murder of uh, a driver on 
February 14th, Irvin Fraser caught the attention not only of the public in Winnipeg, but right across the country. And now the story from Friday night where an individual with an axe and brass knuckles were or was subdued by fellow passengers or subsequently arrested. And then uh, the assertion from the transit union that there were three other incidents on Saturday and Brett, you mentioned they did not elaborate on those. Aruvin texts us at 780-6868. This is what it has come to. Citizens of Winnipeg taking matters into their own hands and risking their own safety, I might add, to subdue a violent passenger while city council and transit management sit with their thumbs up their rear ends. <laughs> Without further delay, Mayor Bowman needs to travel to a handful of cities in Canada and or the United States and meet with their transit authorities to see what they do to ensure passenger and driver safety. Upon returning to the city, draft an emergency motion to implement a safety plan, which is sure to get unanimous approval. After all, no councillor would want blood on his or her hands. That from Reuven at 780-6868. Certainly a passionate set of texts from Reuven, and we appreciate the passion that is... Well, that comes from our listeners here at 680-CJOB. Faye is also displaying some of her passion. She says, I have been a bus passenger since the 1990s, have taken just about every bus in the city from the age of 12 into my 30s. Yes, there are safety issues with taking the bus. I was assaulted in my early teens on a crosstown bus in the middle of the day. This does not mean the bus is inherently unsafe. It means like any area of the city, it is filled with all types of people, including some who are unsafe and unsavory. I do not feel this has gotten worse in recent years. However, I think transit issues are much more in the limelight since the murder that took place last month. I don't know that better safety measures will protect the public. I feel like this is an extension of the mental health system's failure in this province. Faye, thank you very much for that. And uh, that sort of goes back to what you were saying earlier, Greg. Would, Would having police on the bus really help somebody who thinks that bringing an axe and brass knuckles onto a bus and clearly just brandishing them for anyone to see. We don't know what was happening with this individual, if there are some some mental wellness issues. So maybe that, uh, Faye, that's an interesting perspective, so thank you for that. And it's sort of a hit-and-miss situation. How many transit cops would you have to have? Mm-hmm. I mean, at rush hour, there's about 400 Winnipeg buses on the road. How many transit cops would you have to have to form some sort of deterrent, right? Yep. You know, uh, five? What's your chance? One in 80, mm-hmm. you know, uh, if my math is any good. Sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't. Uh, but you have to wonder how many transit cops would have to be in place in order for it to be an actual deterrent. Here's a deterrent. Uh, I think it's John says, taser for all drivers. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. I wonder, uh, that that would be a gray area, right? Because only officers of the law are have you know, the license or the permission to, to use that kind of stuff. Well, it changes the whole aspect of your job at that point, right? Yeah. Because now you're becoming essentially a public safety agent, mm-hmm. and that changes everything. Uh, of course, Canada Border Services employees are equipped with I think they have tasers. I don't think they have guns. 
I'd have to look into that. I'm I'm going off the top of my head. If you know, 780-6868, what kind of weapons uh, Canada Border Services agents have, uh, be interested to know. But it, yeah, it changes everything at that point, right? If all of a sudden now you're in charge with a weapon. Uh, another text here says, equip drivers with baseball bats. Sure, it might be extreme, but in serious situations, a bat can disarm, disable these wannabe tough guys and halt the incident before innocent people get hurt. And that's really a big concern is that innocent people get caught in the crossfire of something like this. And I know crossfire might be a poor choice of words based on the fact that we haven't had any gun incidents, but you never know when that might happen. And I think that people are concerned that this could escalate and and get even worse if there aren't any deterrents out there. We also just wanted, we've been keeping you up to date. We have uh, one of our listeners has been keeping us up to date with, with what is happening out west, sort of near Brandon. It's east of Brandon. Uh, she's been telling us that the road is slippery and windy. And now, <laughs> in all caps, lightning, exclamation mark, exclamation mark. We are in intense wind, rain, snow, blizzard, slippery, and intense lightning now. OMG. Please that stay sounds safe. like a cornucopia of madness. Without question. Should we go to the phone lines? Yes. Ron, uh, you're in first. What have you got to say about safety on Winnipeg Transit? Yeah, I think the lack of deterrent is the main issue here. You know, I like the idea of baseball bats. I like the idea of pepper spray. And all I can say is as a taxpayer, I don't want to be paying for transit cops. To me... With stuff on the buses, Vinsley, car fentanyl, fentanyl, the punishments don't fit the crime. Unless they bring back a bigger stick. I mean, there's hundreds of kids dying from car fentanyl and fentanyl. They've got to bring back serious punishments for serious crimes. It's, it's very simple, and that's a federal government jurisdiction. I think you're, your sentiments would be echoed by many, Ron. Yep, that, like I say, it's a taxpayer... I mean, come on, we, we can't keep funding, like, all of this stuff. It's just, you know, my, my, my wallet is empty. No, I want to I wanna see real punishments come back to start fitting the crimes. And I would go so far, I mean, for, for first-degree murder, stuff like that, you know, beyond the shadow of a doubt. I mean, all you got to do is start chopping off a couple of heads. You've got to send a pretty strong deterrent to all the gangbangers, car fentanyl dealers, all that sort of stuff. Like, I'm sick and tired of all of these criminals' rights over the right of the general populace. Like, enough is enough. You know what? I sort of like, you know, you can call me mini Trump. I don't know. That's all I got to say. Thanks, Ron. Ron advocating for the return of the guillotine. <laughs> Mini Trump. You know, listen, we appreciate the honesty and we appreciate the opinions. And the passion, right? Ron has clearly thought about this. He, he clearly feels that part of what we deal with in terms of public safety and other issues stems from a lack of punishment in the justice system. And I know there are a ton of people who feel that way. I remember actually getting into an argument or... It didn't. Yeah, I guess it was more of a discussion. Did yeah, it on, escalate on, into an argument? No, you know, it, 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 it could have, and then it, it calmed down, actually, and it ended up being a very friendly Canadian discussion. This was, four, I think, four or five years ago on Facebook. I was sort of espousing a similar thing, you know, like that I, I think that we need tougher, tougher laws and tougher sentences, and one of my friends who uh, leans 
further to the left, he started talking to me about restorative justice. And it was admittedly something that I wasn't entirely familiar with. But he framed it in a way that made me think, stop and think, well, hang on, maybe I, we need to actually have this conversation. He was, he was saying this is a long, longer-term solution, but I think that's where we need to go. And it got me to think, you know, maybe what, what is the solution? Is tougher sentences, or do we need to look at a restorative justice where we can kind of try to rebuild the community so that these things are avoided down the road? Well, with know. the recidiv- recidivism rate up around 70%, that means like if you, you get out of jail and you commit a crime again, I know most of you know what that word means. I'm not talking down to anybody. Just in case you don't know what it means, uh, 70 to as much as 80%. Uh, for youth and, and other criminals, I've always felt, first of all, we need to acknowledge whether or not we are in Canada warehousing criminals or are we trying to reform criminals and give them an opportunity to reintegrate into society. And if we're trying to give people the opportunity to make up for the mistakes that they've made, if you come into prison with a grade nine education, I don't care if your sentence is six months, six years or 10 years. You don't leave prison until you got a trade. And if you don't want to get education, if you don't want to get educated, you need tools in order to succeed in life. If you've come into the criminal justice system and your lack of education is part of why you suck as a human being, I think that part of the formula to make things better is to give you an opportunity to be a better person, to be able to offend for yourself, depending on your circumstances. And if you're not interested in that, then you can stay in prison. You can be in the warehouse for as long as you feel comfortable being there. There has to be a two-way street here. Or if, as a country, we want to just warehouse our criminals, then that's a different story. Then we have to talk about tougher sentences, et cetera. But uh, yeah, what we're doing right now, I agree with Ron. I don't agree with that we need the guillotine back, but we certainly need uh, some sort of restorative justice, some sort of idea that once you go into prison— uh, it's not a death sentence, and if it is, then it's because there's no hope for you. You cannot be reformed. Yeah, and they are, not everybody can be reformed. 146 on 680 CJOB. By the way, Jason has answered your question, Greg, about whether or not border agents carry yes. guns. He says Canada border carry real guns, Smith & Wesson 40 caliber handguns. So, I knew I knew one of our listeners would know and would get it to us right away. Appreciate it very much. It is 146 on 680 CJOB. Your forecast, your very hairy forecast, is coming up next. I'm Brett McGarry. He's Greg Mackling. We're talking, we're having a conversation this hour about transit safety, safety on Winnipeg transit buses. Do you feel safe or do you feel comfortable with your kids riding the bus? And this stems from, of course, the uh, the tragic incident involving the death of a Winnipeg transit driver. On February 14th, Urban Fraser, this involves an incident on Friday where a guy gets on the bus in Transcona and has an axe and brass knuckles. A couple of passengers see this and they were able to disarm him without incident. And then the police came and arrested him at Watt and Nairn. So we're just wondering what you think about this. And we've been having this conversation and it led to a chat about... uh, Sort of as our conversations are wont to do, kind of, you know, goes a little, it's a conversation. So you never know where it's going to go. We ended up talking about the justice system. We took a call from somebody who said maybe that we need more deterrence. We need 
tougher sentences, and we started talking about restorative justice. And Greg made a comment that, and we'll, I'm going to read the text first, and then you can respond. Adam texted saying, are you saying that only criminals are tradespeople? I take great exception to that statement. I think we do need the death penalty back so people cannot, some people cannot, do not want to be fixed. Thank you, Adam. Adam, I take great exception to your assertion that my statement went anywhere near that. Of course, that's not what I'm saying. I'm suggesting that if you go into prison and you have a certain level of education, the only way you should be allowed out is if you take some sort of course, some sort of education that will allow you to, to integrate yourself back into society, to take care of yourself, to be a part of the working class, to have a job, and to be a part of society, full-fledged. And nowhere would I suggest that. What did he say? That only criminals are tradespeople? I think, and I'm hoping that Adam had his tongue firmly planted in his cheek when he texted that in. That's not anywhere close to what I said, nor anything close to what I would mean in any way, shape, or form. Adam and anyone else who might have taken offense to that, uh, I apologize. Uh, I don't think that's what I said. I think that it's pretty clear what I'm saying. If you want out of prison, you need to educate yourself and you need to have at least a chance of not becoming a part of the revolving door that is our justice system for many, many people. Yeah, and I think you, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I think the assertion was that a lot of people end up in prison because they don't have education, and then that leads them to down roads where, well, you know, just leads well, them down a bad path. If you have a bad education, the chances of you coming back to prison are substantially higher. Dustin has been waiting patiently at 204-780-6868. Dustin, what do you have to say, sir? Hey there, I just wanted to comment, gentlemen, on the fact that people are thinking weaponizing our bus drivers is a good idea. I, I just think that, you know, you could end up having a host of other issues, uh, you know, with drivers getting their weapons taken away and whatnot. I think a bus driver's responsibility is to drive the bus from A to B, get people there safely, put them in, you know, those uh, in, in a, in a fenced-off box where they can have a door on the other side so they can get on and off the bus that way and uh, have like a, a panic button that they can push where there's a light that flashes on top of the bus to alert, you know, Winnipeg Police Service or uh, the public that there's, you know, an incident occurring on the bus. Dustin, thank you for that. And that actually sort of echoes another text that we had at 204-780-6868. What happens when the weapon is taken from the driver and used on that driver? Not a good idea. Burton is at 204-780-6868. Hey, Burton, what do you think? Uh, what they got to do is bring back the spanking. And maybe this day forward for the next 10 years, things might change. But I don't know why the world is so unsafe on a bus. But, uh, yeah, bring back the spanking, and maybe uh, from this day forward, things might change. So you think that because we don't spank our children? Uh, it could be from from day one, and all of a sudden things get out of control, and the parent doesn't realize, and the next thing you know, you the child's got, you know, carrying weapons on a bus. We don't know, but, you know, start young. And Burton. your child might turn out a little better, but I think, uh, in my view, I think they got to bring back the spanking from day one and then see how your child turns out. Burton, I, I understand where you're coming from here, but I'll, I'll make this argument on the other side, is that yeah. I remember corporal punishment at school, and so now we're talking 30-plus uh, years ago, 
And yeah. so we're now talking about generations that were potentially raised with spanking that are that are part of the criminal justice system. Uh, I'm not so sure that it, that that helped in any way, shape, or form. Crime's been on the increase and was actually uh, a bigger problem a decade ago when a lot of the people that would have grown up with corporal punishment uh, were a part of the education system, and that was part of parenting. I, I, I'd, I'd like to sit down and analyze those stats, but uh, just suggesting that that there might not be a correlation there. Burton, thank you so much for your text, and we'll, we'll end it with this. <laughs> uh, I don't know if Simon really is what he's who he says he is, but Simon has texted us saying this is in response to a text we had earlier from Adam. Simon says, "I'm Adam's brother. It's all good. He's a criminal." <laughs> this is uh, Adam texted earlier saying to Greg, "Are you saying only criminals are tradespeople?" I take great exception to that statement. So I, I hopefully. <laughs> Either way, it doesn't matter. You guys, we, we appreciate that you guys can have some fun with us, even when we're having a serious discussion. Uh, it's Mackling and McGarry. Your news is up next on 680 CJOB. Thanks once again for all your text messages, calls, emails at uh, 680 CJOB to Brett McGarry and myself, Greg Mackling, gmac at cjob.com, brett at cjob.com, or you can text us 780-6868. Talk or text, in fact, at 204-780-6868. We're going to talk about cycling in this next segment the next half hour or so of our program it's a point of contention right brett that conversation that uh, can we call it a contentious relationship between cyclists and and motorists in manitoba <laughs> in particular in the city of winnipeg <laughs> is that an understatement i think so yes <laughs> i was trying Absolutely. to be polite i guess that was an understatement yeah it's uh, definitely contentious to say the least Jamie Hilland is our, uh, has become our cycling guru here on McGarry and Mackling, and he joins us now. I think he's in Montreal, and it's kind of apropos that he's joining us from Montreal because I was reading in the Toronto Sun of all places, Jamie, the fact that Montreal is considering implementing what they call the Idaho Stop for cyclists. Are you aware of this possibility, my friend? I am very aware of it. Uh, also, Edmonton City Council is also uh, contemplating the very same idea of an Idaho stop uh, there. So it's a it's a commonplace thing, or becoming more commonplace. And uh, briefly to describe it is, is uh, if cyclists are allowed at stop signs, if they view that there's no other vehicles present, they can do what's you know a rolling stop as. One or two cars uh, I've seen in my neighborhood do the same type of thing. I think they have their own Idaho stop. So uh, it's, it's a <laughs> legal or otherwise. <laughs> yes, exactly. So it sort of legalizes it, and really the the philosophy behind it is that uh, cyclists have to expend a fair chunk of energy to come to a full complete stop and then start engaging again. And we should be uh, implementing policies that make it easier for people to cycle, not harder. Jamie Hilland is the program manager, active and safe routes school, uh, safe routes to school program for the Green Action Center. Not just our uh, cycling guru. We don't have yeah. enough money to keep him on staff to do that uh, <laughs> exclusively, but we'd like to. And maybe one day we will have well, that opportunity. I'll aspire to that, you guys. Thanks, uh, Jamie. We appreciate that. And this, uh, what I was talking about uh, from Mike Strobel in the Toronto Sun, uh, discussing the idea that the Idaho stop makes sense because, uh, in his words, Jamie, cyclists don't stop for stop signs anyway. Not really. You know, you know, uh, it, it's a practical matter. You're right. I mean, I, I cycle every day. I come to a almost complete stop. I don't do the full putting my feet down, but I definitely will stop at a stop sign. Uh, and, I'm, and and really, like, I'm the one at risk in an interaction with a car, not the car. 
So I'm going to be taking extra caution to make sure that I'm not injured and also not placing anybody else at risk there. Jamie, Brett McGarry here. When you approach a four-way stop, what is yep. your general experience when it comes with other motorists? Do Will they yield to you when it's your turn to go? You know, you guys, you opened the interview, too, with saying that we have a contentious relationship, and I'd actually, uh, I've been, I'd, I'd beg to differ a little bit. I think most cycl- or motorists, people that are driving, and I want to get away from the term motorists and cyclists, when people are driving, uh, I've had very little negative interactions with them, and that's probably because I'm, uh, hopefully it's because I'm sort of following the rules of the road. I signal my stops, or, and I signal my turns. Uh, you know, I stay in sort of my, my zone, um, so most of the time, people are pretty respectful, especially it I does get a, actually a bit funny is, is people expect me as a cyclist to roll through the stop sign lots. And so I think it throws them for a bit of a loop when I come to a complete stop and, and signal. So they're somewhat unused to that. And that speaks, again, to the lack of sort of cycling education that we have sometimes in the city with, uh, with people when they're biking. Um, but for the most part, I found it it's pretty positive, actually, and, and people are pretty respectful of cyclists. I'm shocked to hear you say that. I'm not shocked to learn that you follow the rules of the road as a cyclist, Jamie, uh, yeah. but that it's your perception that that relationship is is less contentious because I can tell you I've had cyclists who think that it's okay to ride on a sidewalk yeah. uh, yell at me yeah. because yeah. I've crept into a, into a crosswalk when that's clear of pedestrians and I'm yeah. trying to make a right-hand turn on a red light and yep. uh, I'm a you-know-what uh, for creating Creeping into that pedestrian crosswalk, yeah. uh, you know, in the eyes of a cyclist. Jamie, I'm going to put you on hold for a minute here yeah. because we're working with a new clock today based on the fact that we're trying to send you to Vancouver to see you too. Every day at 2.10 during our program, we are going to announce one name. And that individual will have five minutes to call in to 780-6868 to make sure that you're registered for the March 31st draw with Shadow Davis to go to Vancouver to see you to the 30th anniversary of the Joshua Tree Tour. And our winner in this hour is Arvin Dalwa. Arvin, you have five minutes to call 780-6868. Let Jeffrey Forche know what your phone number is you entered with, and we can register you for our first winner here on Mackling and McGarry uh, to be entered for the grand prize draw to see you two in Vancouver. And we're doing this all day, 7.10 a.m., 11.10. That's with Shadow Davis, 11.10 a.m. with Jeff Courier, 2.10 with us, and then 5.10 on the news with Richard Cloutier and Julie Buckingham. And once again, sorry, the, the draw, you said the 31st. I thought it was the 24th. Is it Friday, March 24th? Um, Seems fitting. I'm, I'm going to differ with you. I think it's the 31st. <laughs> Did they change it? It's I've later got, in March. I've got Friday 24th on my sheet here. Did Is they that change what it? says the 24th? Well, well done. <laughs> It's later in March. I promise you that. Oh, promise. I promise. Okay. Irvin Dawa, you uh, have now have about four minutes to call us. Uh, Jamie Hilland is on the line. He's standing by. We're talking about cycling. And uh, Jamie, thanks for uh, dealing with us trying to send some people to Vancouver to see you too. Have you entered well, the draw yet, uh, Jamie? I've not entered the draw, but I, I thought you guys were saying, I'm going to you too. I was very excited for a moment. So I, apologize. I, I might have to enter the contest now. You, you certainly do have to do that. Yes, it's March yeah. 31st uh, right here on the CJOB.com website. I see website. that as well. You owe me a banana. <laughs> I owe you nothing. 
<laughs> I, this is a memo you have, from you our promotions You have erroneous yes. information? Yes. We'll have I to take nothing. Bubba back outside the woodshed. Uh, the other point of contention, <laughs> Jamie, at City Council, just this idea yeah. that uh, our active transportation routes, as disjointed yep. as they are, becoming more and more po- popular 12 months of the year, they don't yep. receive necessarily the attention they deserve from snow clearing. And this yep. was something that was going to be studied, but the study's been pushed back. Imagine that. Yeah, push back to a time when it's going to be useless by the time the report is produced. So it's 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 pretty disappointing that we're we're seeing that. We would hope, and like honestly, from my my perspective and my lens, we're getting calls from schools and parents saying, you know, we had that big dump, uh, you know, sort of over New Year's, uh, and a week later, the sidewalks were still they were under snow, and not just under snow, but under the the big sharrows uh, that had been pushed to the side. So we had lots of kids walking on roads. Uh, because the city, in, in our estimation, it, it prioritizes clearing the roads first, and there's you know certainly something to be said for that. But the way that we um, prioritize our sidewalk and bike pedestrian path clearing right now, we think that process needs to be reexamined and, and looked at, and b- more priority placed upon routes that are busier. That's just a common sense strategy. Right now, they're placed in the same priority as the roads that they run alongside, and that doesn't always uh, always work with pathways as well. And so sometimes we're seeing, you know, the, the P1s are going to be Portage Avenue and Maine and sort of Maine busy routes, corridors like that. I would argue that, you know, clearing a sidewalk along uh, Portage where there's few little pedestrian traffic should take less precedence than, say, a downtown sidewalk or, or other routes that are identified as being busier. And that's what we'd like to see. It's the same as we place the priority on the road system. We'd like to have the same priority based on the active transportation system on its own. When I was in Montreal, they just received about 50 centimeters of snow the week prior, Jamie, and I know that's yep. where you are now, and the snow is probably just about all gone there. Uh, but I noticed quite distinctly that in the shopping areas along St. Denis and yep. uh, different parts of the city, they in fact prioritize shoveling and clearing the sidewalks over clearing the roads. Yep. Yeah, I was here three weeks ago, actually, you guys, for Winter Cycling Congress, and it would have blown your mind. Copenhagen prioritizes clearing their sidewalks and bike paths first because they believe that people should be able to get out of their houses into their local stores before they should be able to drive anywhere. So, it, And Montreal is much the same. I was taking pictures and, and tweeting it because their bike paths were clear. Uh, I ride down the, uh, the Sherbrooke bike path or the Maryland bike path, and for much of the winter, it's been unridable and unpassable. Then you're forced to ride into traffic, and then I have people, you know, sometimes telling me that I should be riding in the bike path, and I, I ask them where it is because I cannot view it at that point. So um, I, I'd like to see us take a look at the policy because what we're doing right now is just not effective, and it's not a good use of resources. And, uh, Jamie, just uh, sort of thinking about the last couple of weeks, looking at sidewalks and other pathways, I like I often will walk to work, and in yeah. many cases I've kind of had to, and I'm just not blaming anybody, it's just been a difficult yeah. time for weather, but I've had to stick year. to the road because the sidewalks yeah. are treacherous at the moment. They are brutal this year. And you know what I mean? We can only do so much, right? Like, I, I think that we, I'm not asking for the, all our sidewalks to be scraped out of the pavement all year long. We've had a tough winter with the freeze and the thaws uh, that we've had. And Montreal has the same thing. I mean, their sidewalks were pretty brutal three weeks ago when I was here. They're a little bit better today, but they had a melt. Uh, sometimes you're dealing just with Mother Nature, but I'd, I'd certainly like to see us try and make a, a genuine effort um, to, to place some priority on the busier routes. The uh, last thing we wanted to talk to you about, Jamie, was the report that came before City Council today. It was a safety report, quote-unquote, with regard to adults and whether or not adults should be legislated to wear helmets in the city of Winnipeg. Uh, Was this a little bit of a red herring from our friend uh, Russ Wyatt, uh, you know, putting the onus on on cyclists to wear helmets versus providing proper bike infrastructure to keep cyclists safe? 
Well, you know what, Stephanie, the White House, the city's AT coordinator, came out with a, a good report, but it's, it's basic research. And what I always say, like, I'm going to preface my whole comments on this is like, I wear a helmet, I promote helmet usage. It's, it's, a, it's a no-brainer. Like, it's certainly going to help with uh, injuries, but the number one thing that you can do to actually reduce injuries is to build proper bike infrastructure, and that's to separate bikes from cars. Take a look at the Dutch model. The Dutch, their percentage of people wearing helmets are below, you know, 1%. Their injury rate per kilometer is multiple times lower than we see in Canada and the United States. And so anybody who wants to argue that, that mandating helmet legislation is going to be the best way to make people safe just hasn't taken a look at any of the data or the research. It's, it's clearly there, and it's, it's, a, it's a couple Google clicks away, uh, and you can find it out. And so that's what we would like to see instead is investment in bike infrastructure to actually separate cars and bikes so that people feel safe uh, riding their bikes around our city. And I think that would reduce the perceived contention that Brett yeah. and I sense between <laughs> cyclists and motorists, because uh, oh, if, yeah. if, if cyclists and motorists don't have to deal with one another, uh, there's, there's reduced uh, tension because uh, we're not really yeah. coming into contact with one another. You got it. I, I drive to you guys, and I mean, it's always a bit of, is the cyclist going to stay in his lane? You know, it, it stresses you out a little bit as a motorist, because you certainly don't want to run it out. So anytime that we see that separation, everybody's happier. So I think if you're, if you're predominantly driving around the city, you should also be in favor of uh, reducing injuries and separating out uh, bike lanes. Jamie, you're a good man. We appreciate uh, the access and your insight on these issues as they pertain to cycling and active transportation, and enjoy your time in Montreal. Thanks, guys. Pleasure. 217 on 680 CJOB. We just got another text uh, regarding the weather in the southwestern portion of our province. And this is uh, regarding Hamiota, which uh, the texture says 45 minutes northwest of Brandon. Heavy freezing rain happening along with gusting winds making for poor driving conditions. So once again, if you are heading into that portion, that part of our province, just watch out. The weather is serious. The highways are treacherous. So be careful. 218 on 680 CJOB. Is there a question you would like to ask our listeners after that uh, conversation? Perhaps? Well, I guess uh, my question would be, are you in favor of investing in, in more infrastructure for for active transportation? I know there are a lot of people who say, you know, active transportation is only something that's going to be done during the nicer months in Winnipeg, that we're not a cycling city. Minneapolis is rated the top cycling city in North America. Just really? A, yeah, just ahead of Montreal in terms of uh, active transportation routes and accessibility. And I know it's warmer in Minneapolis than it is here, but it's not that much warmer. And there are people who drive and ride their bicycles uh, all year round in Minneapolis simply because the infrastructure exists. Uh, some people subscribe to the build it and they will come model. Would that work in Winnipeg? I'm mostly convinced of that. I'm still not 100% convinced, but I do know this, that based on the lack of connectivity of the routes that do exist, I will not even consider riding my bike to work because I I don't know how I would do it safely in terms of uh, getting here on active transportation. I know I would have to navigate far too many uh, busy roads to get here safely. Uh, I'm not asking for a bike tunnel from my house to Polo Park. I'm looking for <laughs> something that resembles a transportation network for those that would like to take advantage of that. And are we uh, long past, are we missing the boat on this and an opportunity to become a more active city with uh, more 
options for transportation, whether they be transit, walking, cycling. And of course, we want better infrastructure for vehicles as well. Does this need to be part of the discussion? 204-780-6868 is the number to call. It's the number to text. 204-780-6868. Would love to hear your feedback. 220 on 680 CJOB, your forecast up next. 224, hate to tell you, but our qualifier for you two did not call in. Uh-oh. Arvin Dawa. If you know Arvin, give him a call or her a call. Sorry, I don't know if Arvin is a male or a female name. I apologize for that. If you know Arvin, uh, phone Arvin, text Arvin, and uh, tell him or her that uh, they missed out a genuine opportunity to go to Vancouver and see you too. You can qualify to get your name called by going to cjob.com, not by calling Jeff Fortier, but by going online and registering there, cjob.com. It's your opportunity to see you two on the greatest rock bands of all time as they celebrate the 30th anniversary of arguably one of the greatest albums of all time, The Joshua Tree. It is 225, and we were just, we have a couple of minutes to go through some of the texts that we're getting about cycling and infrastructure. We were just chatting about a whole bunch of things as it goes, as it uh, refers to cycling. And Jeff, the question was do we need more infrastructure for active transportation? And Jeff says, we'll be fine with bike paths right after we get roads to drive on. And that was something that Jamie, our previous guest, referred to. Like, hey, we we know that we need the infrastructure for driving, but we also need it for active transportation. So, Jeff, thank you for that. And uh, should I let you read Adam's text, Greg? Would you like to read Adam's? We, we seem to have a uh, either an acrimonious or, or a love affair going on here, one or the other. Adam, Adam and I going at it back and forth. Here's an idea. Let's get our newly educated trades criminals to build the bikeways. <laughs> he ends it with an LOL. So, Adam, I hope that means we're all good, man. In case you're just tuning in, there is a, I'll just quickly summarize. Greg was suggesting that if you go into jail and you want to get out, then you should come out with some sort of an education like a trade. For example, Adam said, are you saying that only criminals are tradespeople? And they've been going back and forth ever since. So, And of course, I did not mean that. And I, I'm going to change my uh, stand on that policy or that idea to marketable skills, marketable job skills from trade. I don't want to insult my friends in the trades in any way, shape, or form. Well, you, you, It's you, a great you way to make it, a living. You, fair, but you used it as an example. I did use it as an so example. So it wasn't like you were saying, that's it. But uh, having some fun. <laughs> Henceforth, the only <laughs> tradespeople shall be former criminals. Didn't say that either. <laughs> So don't send me a text message saying, did you just say, no, I'm not saying that in any way, shape or form. Global News at 2.30 up next. He's Brett, I'm Greg. It's yucky out there. Nothing in the city compared to what they're dealing with closer to brand and keep it locked here. We will keep you up to date. Traffic and weather together starting just after three o'clock. Brett McGarry, last week we told our listeners about a story. It's been in the paper as well. It's not an exclusive story to 680 CGOB, but one that we certainly... Took time to tell and visit with Bill Fugler. He is the owner-operator of the Neighborhood Cafe and Bookstore on Westminster in Wolseley. And he had a situation that he'd been dealing with the city for with on a grease trap for several months. Mm-hmm. And, uh, well, his luck sort of changed last week. And we asked him when we spoke to him this morning 
if he could let us know what happened after we spoke to him last week. So the day after getting a crushing decision from city council where they said, yeah, we're not, we're not going to do anything with this. I mean, all hell would break loose if we gave you an exemption. Everybody would want an exemption. Um, the day after, we have somebody show up. A, a guy walks in and says, uh, I'm your new best friend. And I said, oh, yeah, why? And he says, I'm going to uh, buy or I'm going to give you a grease strap and install it for you. And people say this kind of thing all the time. Um, and it doesn't normally materialize. Um, it's very nice. It's always a good a, a thing. I had a very strange call from somebody before who had a grease strap in his garage that he wanted to give me. But this guy seemed really serious and really hardcore about it. And, um, and just super polite, super efficient, super knowledgeable. And uh, within three days, we had a grease strap installed. It's like a small fridge lying on its back under our sink. Um, and Amazingly, we have this, this, this thing. It's like the grail of this long debacle we've been going through. Um, so there's now a grease trap nestled comfortably in our store, and uh, it's from Tom Biggs, and the installer was Mike Love, and uh, I'm blown away by that. It's, uh, it's one of those things that, you know, you think might happen, but you don't expect it to. I do not know. Is it Mike, did you say? Yeah. Mike Love. Yeah. Mike yeah. Love. Not from the Beach Boys, Mike Love, but. I know that's what everyone said. They said, <laughs> we're wondering what the guy was doing. And here he is. He's come over here. He's installing your grease strap. That's amazing. I like the Beach Boys even more now. <laughs> <laughs> but I do know Tom Beggs. I've known Tom going on 30 years now. He's uh, just really a heck of a guy. Uh, at this point, he's uh, declined an opportunity to come on the air with us and, and talk about why he did what he did. But he did say in an email to me, me that he said, Greg, it was plain and simply the right thing to do. So I wanted to reach out to you today, Bill, and just find out where things are at. And they may be coming to a head, but you may have uh, one potential uh, hurdle to, to go over before this is all said and done. Yes, um, there's a new hurdle, which is interesting, but I'm, I'm going to refrain from saying it on air until I actually see the emails and I know what's going on. But I, I want to say to Tom first that, you know, he has the gratitude of both the neighborhood and myself for the rest of his life. I mean, that was a, a huge and welcome thing. Um, yeah, so, but everything is, is steaming along. I mean, what we've got to do now is hire more people and restock food and get everything up again. Um, we had a health inspection, which followed right on the heels, and it, was, it seemed really good. Um, and everything seemed fine, and we discussed everything. But there may be a surprise nestled in there, and that's what the emails are about, um, something that wasn't mentioned in any of our talks, and so I'm curious to see what happens with that. I'll let people know when I know. Um, but otherwise, I mean, it's great. And actually, it's been the grease trap has been this big tourist attraction because all the people are coming to see it as if it was a lion, you know, nestled in, in the kitchen in our store. People will walk right into the kitchen, which is totally illegal. You're not allowed to walk into the kitchen, but they'll walk right into the kitchen and stare at this. It's basically a black box that's shaped like a small fridge. Bill. And they're, they're like, wow, that's a grease trap, eh? Wow. <laughs> Hey, Bill, it's uh, Brett McGarry here. When you spoke with Greg last week, you indicated that in order to install a, a grease trap, you'd have to knock a wall down and sort of reconfigure a whole bunch of stuff. Did any of that have to be done with this installation? Well, that was the amazing thing, because he said, nah, it's not going to be this tough. And then he, he opened a couple of cupboards, and he's like, huh. And then he looked around, and he said, uh... 
And he said, "Can I? have you got an adjoining wall? And I said, yeah. And he walks into the bathroom. He's like, oh. And then he says, is there a basement? I said, yeah, there's a basement. He goes down to the basement. He comes back. He's like, oh, okay. Okay, I see what they're talking about. <laughs> and then we start talking about, like, he was going to, and this is amazing, too, he was going to rip up the entire counter. Uh, he was going to line up extra cabinets. Um, I'd have to pay for the cabinets, but he had a good price on them. Uh, we were going to put in a third sink or something. Like, the whole thing was this amazing. We were going to move the, the sterilizer down. It was absolutely crazy. And I said, oh, wait a sec. What if we just put it under here and then we run the piping through the wall or something? And, or he said, yeah, we can run the piping through the back wall. Do you mind exposed piping in the bathroom? And I'm like, if that's going to save us tearing out the floor and tearing out the whole thing, let's do that. And he's like, we can do this in three hours, Bill. And so we, we problem solved it. But it was it like he immediately he came in thinking this is going to be a breeze. And then he looked and saw and said, whoa. And it was interesting because it was like. Oh, okay, now I know what you're talking about. <laughs> no, we had a couple of uh, callers and text messages when we aired the interview that you and I did last week. People suggesting, oh, it can't be that difficult, uh, grease traps a few hundred bucks. Well, until you saw it with your own eyes, I imagine it would sound like an easy solution. And uh, uh, your friend, Mr. Love, uh, found out for himself that it wasn't as simple as many people who even had a little bit of knowledge of how this would work really. Uh, realize that it wasn't quite as easy as that. Well, the funny thing is, is that, you know, we're, none of us are professionals, right? None right. of us know anything about grease, water systems, installation of grease traps. And it always seems like, yeah, this is going to be so easy. In fact, running a business is kind of like this. You think, yeah, I just open the doors. I sell stuff. People give me money. I go to the bank, everything. But honestly, like life, uh, you increasingly learn that it's a heck of a lot more complex than you ever thought. And there's a whole bunch of things that have to be done. And uh, in this way, it's the same thing. It's, it's like, I wish it was as easy as people make it out to be, because then I'd do it and I would never have these problems and I wouldn't have like stomach aches from this and that. But it actually is pretty darn complex and, and needs professionals doing this and knowing what they're doing. And then it, it requires a lot of work and a lot of skill. Well, we're going to give a huge shout out one more time to Mike Love and Tom Beggs for stepping up and proving what an incredible community we have here in Winnipeg. I know others have stepped up in other ways as well along the way in your battle here, Bill. Uh, please keep us informed as to uh, the next hurdle, if it's in fact a hurdle, in uh, making this all go away. We want to keep in touch and, and, and make sure you're uh, back on track. Absolutely. And thanks again to Tom and Mike and everyone else who's helped along the way. It's, it's really, really incredible. Bill Fugler from the Neighborhood Bookstore and Cafe, which is at 898 Westminster Avenue in Wolseley. Once again, we told his story last week, the situation that's been going on with the city for a while, where they told the city told him he needs to have a grease trap in his plumbing. He says, well, I don't really make any food that would require a grease trap. I make sandwiches and serve, you know, pieces of cake and I'm not cooking anything super heavy duty, but they said, no, you got to have a grease trap. So he ended up closing the shop, finally came to a compromise where he can use disposable cutlery and plates. But then someone came in and said, hey, I got a grease trap for you. We're going to install it. And we trap down. We managed to track down Tom Beggs, Tom Beggs agencies, half of the equation here, along with Mike Love, who got this done for our friend Bill Fugler. And uh, Tom, why did you do this? This is really going above and beyond. And uh, just wanted to bring you on the air to acknowledge the great thing you've done for Bill. 
Well, thanks for having me on. Uh, it just seemed like it was the right thing to do, Greg. And that, that, it's as simple, simple as, as that. that. <laughs> Tom, yeah. I've known you for 30 years. That's the shortest <laughs> sentence you've ever used with me. Uh, you know, what inspired you to, to step forth? Well, I'm in the plumbing and heating business, right? I'm, I, I sell a multitude of products uh, through wholesale distribution into plumbing contractors and in turn into the end user like Bill. And uh, I had a grease trap sitting on the shelf. I do handle a line of grease traps. It was sitting on the shelf. I talked to the manufacturer, said I'd like to donate this to Bill. And I talked to Mike and, um, you know, we came up with a, a way to, to make the, the installation um, easy to swallow, so to say, and uh, just made it happen. Now, it sounds all, It sounds like it, it may have been a tricky situation. They figured out, uh, like Bill was saying, that they problem-solved it and figured out a way to do it. But initially, it sounds like Mike was kind of sort of a little hesitant based on what he was seeing because of the configuration in there. Well, again, Brent, uh, I, I'm, I'm, not, uh, I'm not an install guy. Uh, so I, I certainly said to Mike, I have the interceptor. If you can make it work and it can be done for a reasonable price, make it work. Uh, we didn't promise anything until we knew it would work. It's in. It'll work. I'm sure the city will give it the uh, the thumbs up, and Bill's good to go. So it, um, I'm just the guy who delivered the goods. It was the manufacturer who, who supplied the product to no charge. Um, and again, it was the right thing to do. I've been in the restaurant business. Go figure, Greg and I would be talking about grease coming out of the industry we came out of. 30 years ago, yeah. um, you know, restaurants uh, restaurants can make money. They don't all make money. And little com- little neighborhood coffee shops, every penny counts. So if we can help out, let's help out. Tom, I want to thank you personally uh, for doing this. This is a, a great thing that you've done. And anyone who asked me about you, contrary to what anybody may have heard <laughs> out on the street, Tom is a great guy. I need all the friends I, I can get. Thanks for your support. <laughs> Thanks, Megzi, as we used to call you back in the day. Safe travels, eh? We'll talk to you right soon. On. Thanks a lot. Have okay. a great day, guys. Thanks, Tom. Bye. Tom Beggs. Tom Beggs Agency really stepping up to make a difference in the community. And a typical, humble Winnipegger, yeah, well, just that's what needed to be done. So I, I did what was right. And so kudos to him and to uh, Mike Love for doing the install, for finding a way with Bill Fugler to make it happen, to make it work. And it is 246 on 680 CJOB. Just before we, we break here and tell your forecast, we got a text from John who says, listening to you in Castleton, North Dakota, where it is a balmy 65 degrees Fahrenheit right now. Have a nice day. I did the quick conversion because I'm not up to snuff in my Fahrenheit. 16? 18 degrees. So I replied saying simply, shut it. (laughs) And then he sent us a picture. (laughs) He's on the highway. Endless sky. Nice blue sky. That's clearly not what we're dealing with here. Here in Winnipeg, it's gloomy and rainy. Out west, uh, near Brandon, we heard Hamiota. It sounds absolutely treacherous so if you are on the highway in southwestern manitoba please be careful full forecast details coming up in a moment mackling and mcgarry on 680 cjob and of course uh, traffic and uh, highway travel going to be an issue we are hearing reports from brandon certainly not from north dakota it's clear sailing in North Dakota, Thanks, but John. In, in, in Manitoba, as we uh, head further west, it gets increasingly dicey as you leave the city west of the perimeter on the Trans-Canada Highway, and I suspect as you get up around Dauphin, down around uh, Melita and those areas, it's uh, getting a little bit nasty out there.
Yeah, and lightning as well, which is weird. So That is odd. Wind and rain and lightning and wow. So fun times in March in southern Manitoba. Be careful if you're doing any highway travel. Greg, you had some, uh, some <laughs> shall I say, oven fun on the weekend? No, it wasn't very much fun. It was supposed to be fun. Okay. Saturday evening, a nice quiet night. Jets were on the tube, 6 o'clock. Boys curl in the afternoon. We thought, oh, you know what? We'll just get some food. We'll go to our see our friends at M&M, get some, get some nibblies for watching the game. And lo and behold, in the middle of our exercise to feed ourselves and our children with, uh, you know, tasty delights like pizza rolls and chicken wings and garlic cheese toast, somehow one of those plastic cutting boards, you know, the ones you get from Ikea? Oh, no. Stuck to the bottom of the cookie sheet. Oh, no. Ended up in the oven and in a messy glob at the bottom of the oven. (laughs) Now, initially, Jackie, uh, I'm just praying she's not listening right now. Initially, Jackie thought the pizza rolls had exploded and it was cheese all over the oven. Okay. Yeah, no. the cutting board is about, I don't know, about a foot square, yeah. 12 inches by 12 inches. Yeah, that that would be a lot of cheese, a lot of cheese. There was a good solid pound or two of plastic bubbling at the bottom of the oven. What a mess, Brett McGarry. And I couldn't help but think, because we went on Google to figure out how to clean up this mess. Okay. Uh, one train of thought was to put ice on it once the oven had cooled down, then you'd freeze the plastic and you'd be able to get it off that way. Worked not too badly, got about 70% of it off that way. And then the other was to go the other way and to warm it just a certain point where you could start scraping it off. So we've got about 95% of it off, but it's still an absolute mess. But clearly other people have done this. Have you accidentally put anything silly I won't call it stupid, even though I want to. Anything silly in the oven by accident? <laughs> or maybe on purpose and it didn't go very well? Well, I, I came home once uh, from a friend's place and was hungry. This is back, still back when I lived with my parents, so I was in my early 20s. And I, I put a delicio pizza in the oven. But I, I set the oven. Unfortunately, I didn't discover this until the entire house was smoking. I put the uh, I set the oven to broil. Oh no! Instead no, no. of uh, four fifty or whatever it is, so the the pizza was black. You had it on the an upper level rack, I imagine, <laughs> yeah. not in the middle rack. Yeah, it was completely black. Uh, <laughs> and then the, the, the whole house was smoked out. So I still ate it though. <laughs> Was it still delicio? <laughs> I maybe had to peel off the top layer to get it was it was just sort of like this black shell, but the inside of the pizza was okay. Well, you got to be careful because that black stuff is actually toxic, right? Uh, well, yeah, as we're learning now. And my big concern, of course, was, well, can we eat the chicken wings? <laughs> Brendan gets on the iPad. He goes, Dad, we can't eat the chicken wings. I go, what do you mean we can't eat the chicken wings? He says, yeah, that smoke and everything, yeah, that's all toxic. And now it's cooked into the food. So what did you do for food? Did you end up eating? (laughs) You've seen me, right? I can stand to miss a meal or two. I was just fine. I had an extra beer. (laughs) Okay. Well, hey, have you ever done anything dumb like that? 
204-780-6868. You can text us. You can send us a text. What's that, Greg? My girlfriend accidentally threw my Speedo swimming goggles uh, into the dryer this weekend, completely ruined. Oh, they were boy. like $30 goggles. Okay, I have a feeling there's an opportunity for some bus throwing for this segment to be telling us what other people have done to ruin your stuff. We will welcome those text messages without any prejudice at 780-6868. You can admit, or if you want to throw your loved one, your ex, your present, your future loved one under the bus, we'd uh, love to hear from you. The crazy stuff that you've ruined in absolutely ridiculous ways, we'd love to hear from you. It is 2.57 on 680 CJOB. Global News coming up next. It is 3.08 on this Monday afternoon. Traffic's not too bad, according to our traffic guru, Shanalee Vidal. That may or may not change. It may be changing to the west and to the south and to the north, all around here in the city of Winnipeg. In fact, I got a text message that things are starting to change out in the northwest corner of the city at 780-6868. So keep it locked here, and when you can, safely do so. We'd love to get your traffic tips and tips and knowledge of changing conditions at 780-6868 or on the traffic phone 781-1320. I was sharing a story of woe from this past weekend and the melted cutting board story as it will no doubt be known as henceforth in our house. We were cooking up some chicken wings and one of those plastic cutting boards got stuck to the bottom of the cookie sheet, ended up in the oven, consequently turned into a melted molten mess at the bottom of the stove. We managed to get most of it cleaned up. There's still some to go, but based on the fact that we went to Google and very quickly found a couple of suggestions, we knew we had not been alone in this disaster. And based on my request for you to either throw your loved one under the bus yourself, take the blame, or uh, otherwise, uh, it sounds as though we're not alone in, in having these sort of mini disasters strike. Sheila says, my husband decided to wash the kids' ski jackets and ski pants without showing me all the mud on them. All was good till he dried them on high, and all the zippers and clasps melted that from Sheila. Yep, we went uh, shopping that day. Also at 7806868 by text. My mom did dad's laundry on the weekend and skipped checking the pockets. That can be a disaster. I know I left a pen in a pouch once, one of my aprons from my serving days. Uh, that does not work well in a dryer. Well, mom... Getting back to the text at 7806868, when mom went to take the clothes out of the dryer, she found something had blown up that had stuffing. Turns out it was my dad's little black book planner mm-hmm. and not a stuffed blanket. I um, I have made that mistake a couple of times because I, I'm allergic to almost everything and uh, I always have a, a wad of Kleenex in my pocket. Every so often I forget and what a spectacular mess that makes in the washing machine. Good oh, Lord. And it's impossible to get it off, right? You can't pick it off. You've essentially got to run the cycle again yeah. to try and uh, wash it off. <laughs> uh, 7806868, first time texter based on the text history here, left the barbecue scraper in the barbecue oh after lighting it, burnt it up totally. I This is an interesting one that I did. I... This is this goes back to 2008 now. I At the time, I was driving a Honda Civic, 
And I, I, as I, I was just walked out of my home. I was going to visit my girlfriend at the time, pulled my key out of my pocket, which again, like I said, always Kleenex in my pocket. And just as I went, put the key in the ignition, it was like I could see it in slow motion, but I couldn't stop it. Uh, there was a little tiny piece of Kleenex on the end of my key. And just as I kind of like saw it, I'm like, oh no. <laughs> so I put the key in my in the ignition and it got it was stuck. Sure. So I couldn't start the car. The key oh, was stuck. No, it was that bad. Because of this little tiny piece of Kleenex. So I had to get it towed to Birchwood Honda on Regent. And they actually covered it under warranty, which I found astonishing. Thank you, Birchwood Honda, by the way, for doing that. Interesting. But uh, they, yeah, that was really unfortunate because I could see it happening, like, but I couldn't, stop, couldn't stop it. Yourself. The, mo- the, the, the action, I, my, I'd already committed to the action. Well, it's funny, Jeff Courier and I were discussing yesterday morning about these self-driving cars and whether or not in a situation where... The machine, the computer, the self-driving car would have to choose between hitting, say, uh, a dog in its immediate path or crashing into, say, five pedestrians on the sidewalk. Oh, boy. How would it make those judgments? And I kind of said to Jeff, well, the human brain can only manage one tragedy or potential devastating event at a time, a computer can go back and forth and make multiple decisions, millions of decisions in a second, right? Mm -hmm. So I have probably more confidence that the computer will distinguish that it's a dog and just go, yeah, sorry, dog, we're we're saving the people on the sidewalk because what's your first reaction is that herky jerk. And how many times I was trying to dodge the dog and then I crashed into a tree. No, no. As much as we all love the dogs, sometimes the better choice for overall safety is just to keep on your path. Uh, But I digress. Pyrex, you mentioned warranty. Mm -hmm. This is some of the best cooking stuff in the world. Okay. But it does not cover what happened to Reese. Reese said one morning before work, I turned on one of the stove elements to percolate some coffee. I was in the other room when I heard what sounded like an explosion. I honestly thought it sounded like a meteor crashing through my roof and landing in my kitchen. (laughs) I cautiously walked into the kitchen only to find that I turned on the wrong element and a Pyrex casserole dish had exploded into 10,000 pieces. Be careful what element you turn on. And I did exactly the same thing to my roommate's Pyrex Pyrex dish in Vernon, gosh, about 25 years ago. The sound is absolutely horrific. That's it, exactly what it sounds like. Thank you for that text message, Reese, at 7806868. And uh, now I'm going to go back into into memory, my memory bank and realize I probably owe that old roommate 30 bucks for that Pyrex dish. <laughs> I'll be writing a check and sending it to Suzanne in Vancouver. <laughs> 314 on 680CJOB. Keep those texts coming in. I guess the, the simplest way to put it is, you ever done anything dumb? Melted anything in a ridiculous fashion on purpose or by accident? Probably by accident. Although we do tend to, it's fun to melt stuff on purpose. (laughs) 314 traffic and weather together. Up next. I don't know if my audible gasps were picked up on the microphone there while (laughs) you were reading the weather and uh, the sponsor tag there, Brett. But we're getting some insane stories at 7806868 of things that people have set on fire, blown up on purpose and by accident, mostly by accident, including this one at 7806868. I was in culinary school 
And on the first day, someone asked another student to melt a pound of butter. Well, the student then put the pound of butter in a metal container, still wrapped in the foil that the butter comes in, put it in the microwave for two minutes. Oh, my God. About 30 seconds later, I see the microwave door blow open, sparks (laughs) and smoke come shooting out. Needless to say, we didn't get a new microwave. <laughs> oh my God, first day of culinary school. Well, I mean, culinary, like you would think that some people, basic skills. Well, yeah, if you're in culinary school, that already means that you have sort of, uh, you're good in the kitchen. It was first day, Brett, first day. <laughs> That's just basic, basic microwave stuff. <laughs> Don't put metal in the microwave. <laughs> Oh, my God. Thank you for sharing that story. Much appreciated. Troy says, my wife loves hiding things in the oven. I set old pizza boxes aflame, almost burnt down the house. I will never hear the end of it. And I can actually relate to that because that's something that uh, we used to do. In my house, we would uh, you know, put frying pans and stuff in the oven. It's where we would just store them in between meals and whatever. And this was a common practice, so it was never a problem. It was never, oh, turn the oven on. It was always open the oven and check to make sure there's nothing in there before you turn it on. So I this practice carried over into my world outside of the family. Naturally, almost caused a problem because I had a frying pan in the oven and my girlfriend turns on the oven and then she looks and, of course, yells at me, which, and rightfully so, because I just did it out of habit without... Right telling her that, that, oh, by the way, I do this. So that could have been a disaster. So, Troy, thank you for sharing that. I'm glad that I'm not the uh, the only one who does that. I am my mother's son. My mom was horrible at turning off the oven and elements on the stove. Mm-hmm. I inherited that Uh-oh. by nature or nurture. I'm absolutely terrible. And then sometimes when I'm good at it, I'll turn off the oven but there's a cookie sheet or something I've cooked, you name it, chicken or pork or something in the oven, and I just turn off the oven. Uh-oh. And then, of course, you go to preheat the oven the next day, and then you set the parchment paper ablaze, right? Because, <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. I didn't do the dishes properly last night. I left the remains of last night's dinner in the stove. You're not supposed to do that. Linda asked a great question. About the Kleenex in the dryer. Mm-hmm. Yep. She wanted to know why some Kleenex in the dryer ends up in shreds and some comes out as a full sheet. Linda, I think that's called bounce that comes out in the full sheet. I'm not sure that it's Kleenex. I think I actually have, generally speaking, like I mentioned earlier, if I have leave Kleenex in the pocket, it, it makes a, a spectacular mess in the washing machine. But come to think of it, I think maybe... Are there different brands? Yeah, maybe. I think I have had some that have survived the the trek from the washing machine into the dryer, but it just comes out as this almost like, I want to say like, uh, I can't even describe it. It's almost rock hard. It's been like yeah, that's right. almost melted together. Sure, sure, just sure. This wad of destroyed Kleenex. 322 on 680 CJOB. Keep those texts coming. 204-780-6868. Traffic, weather, sports, all up next.
We were talking about the idea of banning handheld devices at work a couple of weeks ago, Brett. Mm-hmm. And uh, Mike, I think, one of our loyal listeners, called in and said, don't you guys have all the tools you need at your desk? You have a computer, you have your phone, et cetera, et cetera. Well, there's so many things that we're juggling, right? Information coming in from police, coming in from the newsroom. We've got different programs that we're running on the computer. So sometimes it's just easier to get the email on my iPhone. I just got an interesting e- email from an individual we're going to have on the program tomorrow. He's the founder of something called Game Quitters for Ooh. people who are addicted to video games. Oh, interesting. So okay. we'll visit with him and find out what his business, what his organization does to help people reduce or eliminate their addiction to video games because it's a real thing. Yeah, it's a real thing for a lot of people, right? So uh, I'm looking forward to speaking with uh, Cam Adair, founder of Game Quitters. He's in Calgary. We'll talk to him tomorrow. Looking very much forward to that, actually. I mean, I I don't play video games anymore, but I do remember growing up, whether it was uh, the Nintendo Entertainment System or the Super Nintendo Entertainment System, there I would be very reluctant to go to bed. I wanted to play and play and play and play, and I'd play for hours, and in the summertime, it was cliche, get outside. Your parents would yell at me to get outside. Nice sunny day. No, I wanted to stay in and play Blaster Master, some game that I'd rented from Addie's Video. So <laughs> That's right. You could rent the video games. I can remember staying home Fridays and Saturday nights. I think I had, what was the first? I think I had an NES. Mm-hmm. What was the one where you could get the Olympics and you got the pad and you could run oh. <laughs> on the spot yeah, and the was, jump? That was with Nintendo yeah, NES, the Olympics track, thing, right? It was track and field. It was the game. The NES, they had the, the, the pad that you would put down in the ground That's and right. it had, uh, I think, was it nine spots that you could you could yeah, jump? Kind of like a twister pad, right? I think so. Yeah. That was kind of cool. I remember renting that from Bill's video back in the day. My buddy Jason Merrick, who I'm sure is not listening because he lives in Florida, uh, I can remember spending uh, several Friday and Saturday nights skipping the bar scene uh, to play the track and field game. But there was still drinking going on, I will confess. <laughs> Speaking of confessions, uh, we're getting text messages here at 7806868. I confessed one of a, one of the mishaps we had in our house this weekend. We, we accidentally, we, I'm such a team player. We <laughs> accidentally... Yes. Uh, happened to have a plastic cutting board stick to the bottom of a cookie sheet, ended up back in the oven. Well, it made an incredible mess. You have been confessing some of the messes that you've created in dryers, on stovetops, inside microwaves, and other places uh, via text. And here's one, and ah, boy, can I relate to this one. I was a tired new mom sanitizing bottles in a pot of water on the stove. The cat woke me up. By jumping on me, I rubbed my eyes thinking, wow, really foggy sleep eyes. Nope, it was smoke. The whole pot was melted to the element, oh all bottles melted, a disaster. A film of black soot everywhere. Clearly, a mom, baby, everyone else involved was saved and safe. But that is, uh, yeah, I go, oh boy, I remember uh, dropping Brendan bleary eyed one day. Oh, really? I was feeding him and they were, the boys were on the three hour feeds. So it would take them, take 45 minutes to feed them. And then you'd have to burp them, change them, everything, put them down. And then, you know, the saying, you're not supposed to wake a sleeping baby. We, that was 
non-option. We had to wake them up to feed them because they were where they were premature. And it was the middle of an afternoon and I was feeding them and I dropped them on the floor because I fell asleep holding him. Oh my. Because I was so sleep deprived. I carried that around with me for years. And then this past summer we were at the lake at my sister-in-law's cottage. And after a couple of glasses of wine, (laughs) Jackie says, I've got something to tell you. I dropped one of the boys too. <laughs> she, and I said, really? And you've been keeping this from me for nine years? She says, mine's worse than yours. I don't even remember which one I dropped. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. So true confessions of the things that we've done over the years here in 680 CJOB. Here is one. Uh, we actually got two texts from this person here. The first one is, I washed my husband's wallet. Twice. Oh, no. So, and then immediately after that, the same person says, I hard-boiled eggs to the point that they were burnt onto the pot two hours later. So, I don't know what happened uh, that they, this person let the pot go for two hours. If there was some, you forget, Brett. Yeah. Let's but, be honest. I, no, hey, I'm not, uh, I, I like I said, I, I set the oven to broil instead of 450 when I made it, put that pizza in uh, a few years ago and it came out like a big big black hockey puck so with pizza inside it hi guys it's mike my daughter of 14 years decided to melt crayons in the microwave so she proceeds to put them on for 10 minutes and forgets about my oldest daughter comes and sees the smoke opens the door causing crayons to burst into flames she runs out grabs the 10 pound fire extinguisher and unloaded it into the microwave to put the flames out this is about a year ago and i still say uh, we are still finding the white dust everywhere. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my word. <laughs> uh, Tim says, I worked at a place that made fireplaces. To test them, we would fill them up with gas and then fire them up. The glass on the front would shoot 30 feet away. So much fun. <laughs> So Tim? this is so this is more some chicanery, some I see. shenanigans. I knew we would get some admissions of blowing stuff up real good <laughs> on on purpose. Fell asleep for two seconds. Yeah, it was longer oh. than that. Uh, woke up. My son was in the jolly jumper, and he had um, had an accident, shall we say, and uh, rejumped in it. Yep. And then there was stuff everywhere. Yeah, there was stuff everywhere. Delightful. Well. <laughs> oh, before we forget. Oh, we got stuff to give away. Yes, we got to give some stuff away, and uh, it has to do with golf. Welcome to the Bushwood Country Club. The membership's exclusive. You think I'd join this crummy snobatorium? You know, I've never seen Caddyshack, as much as I like golf. You're kidding me. I'm not kidding you. Okay. Man, this list of stuff you and I are going to do over the next <laughs> few months together is getting longer. This one will be a piece of cake, though. Yeah. Pizza, beer, it won't be delicio. We won't make it in the stove ourselves. We will order out, <laughs> and we will watch Caddyshack. Oddly enough, I've seen Caddyshack, too. Yeah, no. It's terrible. Yes, it so is. So we have four tickets to the Winnipeg Golf Expo, which is on this weekend, Friday to Sunday, March 10th to the 12th at RBC Convention Center. Want to make sure that some golfers get their hands on this. So here's a golf question. Like it. TaylorMade has some new golf balls out called TP5. I actually just got the, the, the newsletter from Golf Town today or yesterday. TP5 are the new golf balls from TaylorMade. What does the five mean? 
204-780-6868. TaylorMade has some new golf balls out called TP5. What does the 5 mean? 204-780-6868. If you have the right answer, you could be going to the Winnipeg Golf Expo. We have four tickets up for grabs, and we'll be doing this all week. Traffic and weather together. Next. So once again, congratulations, Jim Signatovich won the four tickets today for the Winnipeg Golf Expo, which is on this weekend, Friday to Sunday, March 10th to the 12th at the RBC Convention Center. We have more tickets to give away all week, so make sure you stay tuned to Mackling and McGarry for your chance to win. According to the weather app on my phone, it's minus two in mixed snow and sleet in Brandon. So a seven degree difference between Winnipeg and Brandon. It's, that's not usually a disaster if all digits are below or above zero. But when you've got plus five in Winnipeg and minus two in Brandon, you can just imagine the mess in between. So uh, be careful if you're heading uh, from Brandon to Winnipeg or vice versa. Julie Buckingham, Richard Cloutier have stepped into the studio to set up the news until seven o'clock traffic weather, sports, entertainment, all sorts of information for check, you. Check, check, and double check. Double check. Who are you, Aaron Rodgers with the <laughs> double check? What's going on I'll today, Julie? Again. Well, of course, uh, the weather is top of mind for many of us, so we'll talk to some of the mayors that are being hit hardest in their communities and also a chat with Larry Haleko, Manitoba Infrastructure and Transportation, and see how the province is doing in terms of these changing road conditions, depending on where you are. And it's wet dog season, so Gus is going to join us in our 680 CGOB studios after the 4.30 news. And his cone news. of shame. Yes. He's back? Gus is back, and uh, we're going to meet his human, and we're going to talk about the cataract surgery that went on. Fantastic. And uh, I can tell you it was successful, but the challenges of that, and interestingly enough, there are a lot of people that have had to make that road trip to Saskatoon, and uh, we'll also hear from Global News reporter Sheldon Rogers, who's looking into why that is. That's coming up between 4.30 and 5 o'clock. Uh, uh, Global News exclusive coming up at 5.30 this afternoon. And of course, Julie, another opportunity at 5.10 for you to um, register and maybe a lucky listener be able to register to win that trip to U2. Yeah, fly away to U2, so we'll have that cue to call and mention that name, that potential qualifier. We'll also have tickets to give away Canada versa versus Costa Rica in soccer. Oh, of course, the women's friendly coming to yes. IGF this summer. So we will not... We will not mention the Premier in Costa Rica at all. You promise you won't mention the Premier in Costa Rica at all? Not beyond this conversation. No, not at all. No. And apparently he can't win. <laughs> but we, we're not sure who, which team he'd cheer for. You said versus, right? Versus, yes. Most of the kids say verse, verse. now. Yes. It's that's the strangest a, thing. Yes. Yeah, Mom, it's who the are Jets we, versus Sharks Or they'll tonight. say, who are we if... Versing. Who are we versing? What? Yes. yes that is... Yes. It's a alliteration that sure. that's out there. And uh, a little bit later on, we'll give you your cue to text your picture of your young soccer player. I want to see some soccer players. And Why? at the top of the news at four o'clock, mean meme. Uh, another story yes. that uh, our colleague Matt Carty has been Ooh, working on. Saw that. And that's coming up on your news at four o'clock. Thank you, uh, my friends. Appreciate that. It's a kinder, gentler McGarry and Mackling today. As Why? We, well, we're starting a new week. We want to set things off on the right foot. Yeah, wait till Thursday. Yeah. Okay, now get out. <laughs> 
<laughs> Julie Buckingham and, and Richard Clinton. That lasted all of two and a half minutes. I did my best. You tried. I did my best. You tried, but uh, sometimes the effort is futile. That's all the time we have for today. I actually... I didn't get a chance to tell my story. We were talking about the dumb things that we've done and blown up or melted or burnt. <laughs> and I completely forgot about what, what I what I simply call the Hurt Locker pop can incident. And I'll have to tell that story tomorrow. Do you promise to tell it tomorrow? I promise to tell it tomorrow. Write it down so have, neither of us forget. I have it written down here. Because we're plug combined it into my phone. 88 years old, right? And so the memory combined is not spectacular at times. We forget things. Jeff Fortier, we can't forget your fine effort today and every day. I'm Brett McGarry. He's Greg Mackling. The news is coming up next.